0: Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. Not to be like a huge nerd on my book podcast, but I recently started a spreadsheet to keep track of all the books I've read and who the author is, where they're from, whether they're a man or a woman or non binary, and just so much other information. It has been a lot of fun and really interesting for me to have all that info because now I can make charts and see trends. I have a separate spreadsheet for the books I talk about on this podcast versus all the books I read because I read about 60 books a year and I only do 25 books on the podcast, more or less. For an example of the information I get out of this, books I talk about on the podcast have been split almost exactly between male and female authors, but over all the books I read, 62% were written by women, 37% by men, and 1% were written by non-binary authors. So this is just part of my ongoing project to read more widely and think about what I'm reading and where it comes from, and to be a huge nerd. Anyway, this time we are talking about Do You Dream of Terra 2? by Temi O. Here is the summary. A century ago, scientists theorized that a habitable planet existed in a nearby solar system. Today, ten astronauts will leave a dying Earth to find it. Four are decorated veterans of the 20th century space race, And six are teenagers, graduates of the exclusive Dalton Academy who've been in training for this mission for most of their lives. It will take the team 23 years to reach Terra 2, 23 years spent in close quarters, 23 years with no one to rely on but each other, 23 years with no rescue possible should something go wrong. And something always goes wrong. This book was published in 2019. It was an NPR Best Book of the Year and won the ALA Alex Award in 2020. Our author, Temi O oh, was born in England. She got a bachelor's in neuroscience and later an MA in creative writing from the University of Edinburgh. Do You Dream of Terra Two is her first novel, and I couldn't find any news of another novel from her anytime soon but her short stories have been published in several places, including a Marvel Black Panther anthology. Some content warnings for this book include suicide, depression, eating disorders, and domestic abuse. Now, the more books I read, the less I believe the book jacket summary. This is not a book about spending 23 years in space. It's not even about space travel, really. There's space travel in it, but it's really about the crew of young astronauts coming to terms with spending a lifetime in space to reach a distant, maybe impossible goal. And they made the decision to go when they were 12 to 13 years old, which is very young to decide to leave Earth behind. This is a very reflective book, there are many flashbacks to their lives on Earth before the launch. There are also moments where it reads like magical realism or horror, which I, I really liked. I think that really highlights how we think of space, or I mean, at least how I think of it. What is space if not magical and horrible and endlessly fascinating? This book is set in 2012 in England and space. An alternate history 2012, where space travel is more common and scientists know of an Earth like planet in a nearby solar system. They call the planet Terra 2. There have been many missions to the moon and to Mars, and there are even a few manned research space stations as far out as Jupiter. The Damocles, the ship. For this mission to Terra 2 is the second ship to head that way. The first was a generation ship that expects to arrive in almost a hundred years. The Damocles, however, has a brand new, not quite faster than light, but definitely faster than anything else so far, engine. We have six point of view characters, each of the young astronauts, And I found all of them to be interesting. They have different personalities and drives, things they're running towards or running from back on Earth. It can be difficult in a book with lots of viewpoints for all of them to be interesting or compelling. Usually there's like one or two you like and the rest you just tolerate. But I think the author did a good job making them all interesting and having them all add to the story in some way. It takes over a hundred pages to even get them in the rocket to launch them away from Earth. First, we get into how they were chosen and trained for the mission over the past five years. They were picked from a huge number of candidates when they were around 12 to 14 years old. Mostly, they are thrilled to have been chosen to be the ones picked for this historic mission to be the first ones to step foot on a brand new planet. Some of them are going in order to escape from Earth, some for the excitement, and a few of them truly have the heart of explorers. But all of them, whether they acknowledge it or not, are also scared of what lies ahead. One of the young astronauts commits suicide rather than go. They can't face the thought of leaving Earth, but they also can't fathom backing out of the project and dealing with the backlash. And it's less than 24 hours before the launch. All of them have dedicated their lives to this one goal to getting on this rocket and out of this atmosphere, and the day before the launch, it looks like the whole project might be scrapped. Doubt begins to sneak in, Should they even be doing this? They won't get to attend their friend's funeral. They'll be getting a replacement who hasn't had all the intensive training they have. But the United Kingdom Space Agency picks an astronaut from one of the backup teams and the launch goes ahead. We get hints while the decision is being made on whether the launch will go or not of deeper considerations, of arguments against the project as a whole— Things that our young astronauts haven't been exposed to. They've honestly been fairly sheltered from a lot of what's going on outside of the space agency. And I kind of wish we had gotten the perspective of one of the adults on this trip to sort of balance out the perspectives. The book works just fine without it. I just wanted for this book to be about space travel more than anything else, which it isn't. Just keep that in mind. The death of their fellow astronaut puts a shadow over everything, and once the launch happens, they struggle with what they're doing. It becomes clear that they were focused on the launch or on the landing on Terra 2. The 23 years they'll spend traveling wasn't real to them until they were beyond Earth's atmosphere. They're living in close quarters, facing decades of seeing the same walls and the same faces, and they lost one of their closest friends, and their friend was replaced with someone who's not a complete stranger but hasn't been in their group and training with them for months and months. It takes them a long time, months, and many fights and arguments to reach an uneasy truce on the spaceship. The characters are all around 18 to 20, but for me they, they read almost more like a group of 16-year-olds. Your mileage may vary. They were definitely treated like children by the senior astronauts rather than regular crew members. They still have classes and lessons to take before they can be trusted to be in charge of the mission. But, I mean, they have 23 years. They're very much in that awkward phase of life where you're not a child anymore, but you're not quite an adult, trusted with adult responsibilities. One of the things you have to face when you're an adult reading young adult books is that some young adult tropes can potentially ruin your enjoyment of a book, which you shouldn't be reading young adult if you're annoyed with young adult tropes, because they're there for a reason. And usually they don't bother me. But there's a scene of bullying where one of the characters gets put in the airlock and the person who put them there starts venting the air so that they can open the airlock and launch that person out into space. This is stopped, thankfully, but the victim of bullying insists that no one tells their commander what happened, and I nearly screamed, You are in space. You have to rely on each other to survive, and that person just put you in an airlock and threatened to space you because you teased them about their video game, and we're just going to let that go? Really? On the other hand, I do think the scene works as a reminder of how young these characters are. It's almost like they don't really understand how serious their situation is, how close to absolute disaster they are every second of every day. Space is big and dangerous, and their mission is a huge responsibility. We make it almost a year into their journey. They're still in our solar system, but they're quickly approaching the point where they'll turn on their very fast engine slingshot around a planet, and go beyond our solar system to reach Terra 2. They're nearly past the final outposts, the furthest manned stations, when there is a catastrophe. It's a book set in space. There's always a catastrophe. Their ship is damaged beyond their ability to repair it. That's it. A year in, and the mission is well and truly over now, the commander orders them to take the shuttle and return to Earth. There's just barely enough supplies and room for six. They will have to leave the senior astronauts behind. After all that heartache and effort, to be told their once-in-a-lifetime monumental task is over and they have to return. Some of them to lives they were desperate to escape? It's too much to bear. One of the young astronauts has been having dreams of Terra 2. In her dreams, she walks the shores of the planet, feels the sand, the water. She spends every waking moment obsessed with Terra 2, believing it's a gift from God, a new chance for humanity. She cannot fathom giving up. With help from another of the young astronauts, they sabotaged the shuttle, unable to give up on their dreams of reaching Terra 2. But they've mutinied and stranded everyone, condemning them to a slow, cold death while they wait weeks for rescue from the closest space station. They're trapped. They're waiting to die, or for the slim chance of rescue, and it becomes clear that some of them do not want to complete this mission, and some of them would do anything to carry on. And this is their moment to complete the journey from childhood to adulthood as they deal with the catastrophe and then with their mutinous crewmates. In the end, help does arrive. From an unexpected quarter— The mission carries on, headed for Terra 2. They don't have the same crew as before. Two of the young astronauts take their chance to turn around, to step back onto Earth. And we never really see the culmination of the journey, the landing on Terra 2, or the missions that follow it. That's not the journey, not really. The journey is about who will be the ones to go. Deserves to, how do you decide? And when faced with the reality and the enormity of the situation, what do you choose? It's impossible to read this and not think about our ongoing climate disaster. Any story where the characters are leaving behind a dying earth to seek a new home just automatically has that element to it. And With that in mind, I think the book really shines. There's so much pressure we put on the younger generation to solve our current problems, to reach a new world. It's a massive responsibility, and some, like the astronaut at the beginning who commits suicide, cannot see a possible future, cannot see any way of reaching a new world. And there is no Earth be. There's no Terra 2. This planet is the one we have. And the journey, the 23 years spent getting there, isn't what's important. What's important is that we take action now, that we don't give up when it seems impossible, so that in 23 years, we still have a planet. And that's my little speech about the climate disaster. I'm going to include a link in the show notes to something called the Footprint Calculator by the Global Footprint Network. It's a quick test you can take to see how many Earths we would need if everybody lived like you did. For example, I took the test, and if everyone lived like me, we would need 5.2 Earths to sustain that, which is sobering to think about. That website also has resources, so you can start changing your habits, if that's something you're interested in. If you want more media like this, try the Wayfarers series by Becky Chambers, which I talk about in episode 5 of this podcast. Join me next time to hear about Jade City by Fonda Lee. Have you read this book or next episode's book? I'd love to hear what you think about them. You can contact me at BackluckBooksPod at gmail.com. You can find the pod on Facebook at Podcast. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon. Here is the summary. I have an eyelash in my eye. Oh, jeez. Ah! Oh, boy. I poked myself in the eye, but I think I'm okay.